0: Welcome everybody into the valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined as always by soon to be dad Philip Russell and, b- Ryan b- and Ryan. Oh, I was Schutt. like, I'm about to be a dad. I was gonna say, and and Ryan Shutt, <laughs> soon to not be a father. Last time we uh, we checked in, so gentlemen, how are we feeling after what has just been an insane week of Phoenix Suns basketball? I don't know if it's good, bad, or what, but crazy for sure. Uh,
1: Philip, how are you feeling coming off of this week so far? I've learned a lot this season. I've learned a lot about Suns fandom. I've learned about how Suns Twitter works. There aren't many better weeks in the history of Phoenix Suns basketball than this one for Suns Twitter. Annihilated the Lakers to knock them out of play in contention and then absolutely trolled the Jazz on their home court with Mitchell building a house of bricks down the stretch. It was everything Suns Twitter wanted. So to the homies on Suns Twitter who are listening to this podcast, just know that I'm really happy for you and I'm glad that you're living your best life right now.
0: It's good stuff, man. Ryan, how you feeling? To Philip's point, I feel like on Twitter, Mike Golick Jr. does
2: this really great thing. Whenever there's just like one of those monumental nights on Twitter, he does a great job of like recalling Hey, you know those collective nights where all of Twitter just felt like they were on the same team and the jokes keep coming? That's kind of what it felt like for Sun's Twitter this week. I'm right with Philip, man. It has been fun being in there. The jokes that came in after the Lakers game were just incredible. Uh, knowing that we are single handedly. I know that's not accurate, but single-handedly responsible for LeBron not making the playoffs. Like it's just it's been a sweet, sweet week. Now on the personal side, I feel sad and unfulfilled knowing that Phillips having a child and we brought up my loneliness.
0: But other than that, you know, we're we're doing it great. Oh man, this week, this week is nuts. Um, and and I want to, I don't mean to harsh our our, our vibe here. I do want to take a moment before we get into the week. To say, though we had some great moments this week, the Suns had a pretty big loss. I just want to take a moment of silence to let us remember Frank the Tank Kaminsky. Can we have an
2: in memoriam PowerPoint?
1: It's just a picture of him. Yes, I I thought I thought you were talking about the Clippers game, and I was going to be so so mad at you. That's a that's a W. That that game was so much fun too. No, there were even the loss this week was amazing.
0: This, this was a no-skips week, if you're a fan of a, a certain Chase Toronto podcast. No, this is a no-skips <laughs> week. We're recording this on Saturday night, a little earlier than usual, but we knew we wouldn't be able to record after the Kings game. Kings game also doesn't really matter. So we're going ahead and talking Saturday night. So there's been nothing, no skips this week. Everything was a must-watch. Everything was great. But I just wanna, I wanted to make sure we paid our respect to Frank Kaminsky. Now, Frank Kaminsky went down as one of my least favorite basketball players of all time in college basketball because of what he did to a very emotionally raw college student named Ethan destroying his undefeated Kentucky Wildcats, him and Sam Decker and what Nigel Hayes guys, whose names I shouldn't remember. I remember because they broke my heart and put me into a very, very sad state yet. Frank rose from the ashes, much like a Phoenix and was able to, to win my heart, my love, and my affection. And it sucks, man. I hate, I hate the business of it all sometimes. He had some incredible games early in the season before getting hurt. I think he put up a career high. He scored on someone, I think, in the Portland game and did the year too small for me. Vibes were high, man. The Frank vibes were strong. He's well-loved, but the business is the business, and, and Frank's no longer with us. The, uh, the tw- oh, go ahead,
1: Phil. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say, we will always have, I pulled it up, November 10th, November 10th, the Frank game, 2021, Frank Kaminsky drops 31 points on the Trailblazers heads, outscoring Damian Lillard, ever heard of him, en route to his son's 119-109 victory incredible just an unbelievable memory and he had a couple of nasty post moves a couple up and unders a couple duck unders a couple reverse layups it was a great night r.i.p to a legend
2: i was especially hurt after he changed his twitter bio to after oh. all this time that really that one that one really got me uh right in the feels but can i make a request of you guys can we just go around and everybody either say something really nice about Frank or their favorite Frank memory. I feel like in
0: memoriam, Frank, Frank deserves this since he didn't get a great departure from the team. I mean, my highlight is when he did a, what I would call an old man at the Y post move on someone and did the, he's too small. Like that in my mind is the greatest thing I've ever seen from Frank outside of maybe some great bench celebrations, but he'll be missed, man. I think, I think mine, I've got two, I think.
2: When he came out to the post game presser and Da's chain, that was pretty great. Uh, If you were a fan of the YouTube channel, when we updated that more currently, uh, my background after that game was was that chain. Uh, But then also when we went to uh, when we won the Western Conference Finals and we arrived home, when he got that beer and shotgunned it and launched it to the moon,
1: it it was awesome. He was Uh, living his best life, man, Frank. Sweet Frank. So now, tonight, instead of shotgunning anything, we're going to pour one out for the homie Frank.
0: We'll miss that, you, Frank. That seems right. Well, we can move past this, but I just wanted to give
1: him his proper due. Man, you the, really
2: did bring the party down. Can we? No, 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 no. no, no, no. no. I, can, I
1: can pivot. No, wait for a second. Ethan. Go ahead, baby. We're going to go from a solemn in memoriam to absolutely dancing on a team's grave. Mm-hmm. You guys ready to dance on the Lakers? Because
0: I've been practicing my Fortnite L dance for years for this very Excellent.
1: moment. Here we go. It is unbelievable how self destructively bad the Lakers are. Self destructively being the keyword. Watching the Los Angeles Lakers play and thinking KCP, Alex Caruso, and or Buddy Hield could be filling the minutes that Russell Westbrook gets is just abysmal. Like, there were, there were moments the other night when the Lakers were playing the Suns where you watch Anthony Davis and his playmaking, and I know he's been hurt a bunch this year. He's made of glass, but that dude's cold. Like, he's, he's nasty. When he's moving the ball around the court, he has great court vision, but the dude's kicking the ball out to Russell Westbrook. I'm going to do it, Russell Westbrook, if you will.
0: Hey! 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 And that's then GSR. no, it's he not. Hey! 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 Hey!
1: His so we can watches we basketball. can say
0: we can say that, but not Barnes or Beater. Continue. I'm yes. just saying, don't don't step into it after giving you all this crap. The Go defenses, ahead. the defenses
1: play Anthony Davis to Pastor Russ. So even when he makes a good pass, it's just like, oh, this one's going off the side of the backboard. And then and then and then Anthony Davis not wanting to play the five is also so bad. Having to play Dwight Howard next to Anthony Davis, where Anthony Davis gets taken out of the lane and becomes a perimeter defender instead of playing in the lane with dudes his own size where he can contest shots. It's so bad. Frank Vogel's is about to get fired and he's a really good coach when all of the blame lies with the front office and one LeBron James. I
0: want you to know. Usually, when I'm I'm editing and posting and doing all the behind the scenes nonsense, I struggle to think of a title of an episode because it's a really hard thing to do unless you kind of have an idea going in. But if this episode is not called "Dancing on the Lakers' Grave," I do not know it, what it will be. Uh, but, dude, I'm I'm just saying it was like an exorcism of sorts in a very weird way because, like, last. I don't know, man, like beating the Lakers in the playoffs was great. And that was wonderful. But people wouldn't shut up about all the reasons why. Oh, well, this was this and the Lakers, whatever. This is an entire season's worth of gloating that has been kindly brought to my feet and said, Ethan, look what happened to the Lakers that broke your heart as a child. Many, many, many years. It was awesome, man. It was great. Like having to read articles about how Malik Monk is going to save the Lakers. That just brings a level of joy that I never expected in my lifetime. And then going back and pulling up the old takes exposed of all the trades they said no to and all the deals that didn't quite swing it. And instead of Westbrook, it could have been CJ McCollum or no, we won't give you THT because of his incredible value. Or, oh, yeah, maybe Devin Booker for Kyle Kuzma, but you have to throw in more. Or, Philip, I know you'll love this one the fact that they wouldn't pay to bring Alex Caruso back. You've got a dog who plays good basketball and you're like, "Mm, I don't know. I think I would rather D white Howard. I'm just saying there's a level of stupid that the Lakers have reached to where magic Johnson's Twitter account is starting to make some sense where I'm like, maybe this (laughs) is the logic that's used to make decisions. Scoring points is good. Basketball Suns keep scoring points. Wins could happen. I like that team. Thanks magic. Appreciate
1: you. Homie, the Lakers were like, what if, we, what if we take the championship formula we had, two outstanding offensive players and a bunch of really good defenders, and we completely turn it on its head and get just like a bunch of trash cans? <laughs> what if that would work?
2: Well, I mean, to be fair, who possibly could have seen Russell Westbrook being trash at basketball coming? Me. A trash fit for the Lakers, sure. But like, yes. But bad okay. at basketball? Like the dude hasn't been good all season. The guy averaged a triple-double over two years, and all of a sudden it's like the monsters stole his power and <laughs> gave it to some AAU kid. Like it doesn't make any sense, and it's wonderful.
1: So there are there are good stats, bad team players. Russell Westbrook is a new lauded category. Pretty bad stats on a really bad
2: team. Mm. RIP R. Russ. <laughs>
1: yeah. RIP Frank and RIP Russ. Oh. <laughs> well, while we're
0: at it, do we want to go ahead and say uh, RIP to big leads? Because I think the Clippers and Jazz games, uh both we can continue this party. Let's go Clippers first. I have to save the Jazz to the end because the level of joy that one brought me is... <laughs> <laughs> On an almost ethereal level, dare I say? <laughs> spiritual awakening, maybe? It was, it was good. My Brooke, dude. Brooke could not believe how many times I yelled at her during the jazz game of like, you can't believe this is happening. This was a score earlier. This is what every..." She didn't care at all, but I sure did. <laughs> but let's talk Clippers. All right. So we've got the Clippers game. And goodness, we've been so excited. I didn't even do my weekly recap. I'm sorry to the homies that listen and count on me to tell them what happened this week. If you're out there, that's surprising. But in the off chance that you are one of these folks, uh, Suns beat the Lakers 121 110, as we have referenced deeply at this point, followed that up with a loss to the Clippers 113 109, and then beat the Jazz 111 105. Now, if I told you the Clippers game was 113 109, you're like, oh, that's a close loss. And if I told you that the Suns didn't play, by the way, immediately after knocking out the Lakers, using everybody, they immediately benched Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker for, as written on the DNP, ankle sore, right ankle soreness for Crowder and Ayton, a right thumb injury for Paul, and low back soreness for Booker. Yeah, who, carrying the team against the Lakers. Interestingly enough, we're all healthy enough to play against the Jazz, but we'll get there in a second. Uh, the Suns played the Clippers in a game that didn't matter. Uh, weirdly enough, the Clippers, though they're on the bottom of the West, had actually clinched a spot. They were about three and a half back from seven, about four above nine. So the eight spot was theirs. There's nothing they can do to move around, nothing to to really help, but other kind of just get their players back ready to roll. They've had players coming back who have been hurt. I think Norman Powell is that the big one that had just kind of come back, along with Paul George kind of sorting himself out. But like I said, Suns lose by four they were down 39 points in the third quarter. And if I told you guys that one player was about to go off to a point where it's a 20-point quarter, let's not even mention it's a career high for him because I'd probably help you pick that player and cheat a little bit. But one player was going to drop incredible 20 points, and that included some off like a pick-and-roll, moving, jumping, three-pointer, nuts, everything, right? If I told you that was Ish Wainwright, would you ever, ever believe me? Seriously. Not at all. Not at all. Philip, if I told you the Suns came back from down 39 to the Clippers to almost come back, and the reason was because Ish Wainwright went super sane in the fourth quarter.
1: I went super nerdy on this and thought, low-key, if the Suns didn't get in foul trouble in the fourth quarter and get the Clippers in the bonus with, like, seven minutes left, I think they might have done it.
0: They Or at the won. very
1: least, the Clippers starters would have come back in. For sure. I
0: mean, and and here's the thing, and I, I don't remember which which game I tweeted this out, but, like, the level of just magic and how special this team is can be seen in a game like this, not just because you come back from the lead, are from this bat- big deficit, but your starters, by the way, who are all very hurt. So let's make sure we're keeping them in our thought. Um, we're going nuts on the bench as they're watching the six through 10, six through 11 play an incredible quarter of basketball to further the clutch argument that somehow now applies even to the scrubs because the Suns really don't have scrubs. Well, what? It's, it's- I mean, incredible.
2: It's wild to me. This might be my favorite loss of all time. It's wild to me that in the same game, the Suns had a nine point quarter and a 48 point quarter. Like it, it doesn't seem possible that a team could fluctuate like that's literally the best and worst quarter a team could have. And then to say, oh, by the way, it's all of the back end of the bench who are doing it, including Ish, who essentially kicked Frank Kaminsky off the Suns.
0: <sighs> I did want to me- I did <laughs> like, want to mention that. It's the craziest best loss I've uh, ever seen. I'm gonna I'm gonna be real with you. I I think based off of everything we've seen, I think the Frank decision was gonna happen no matter what. I think. Ish was going to play himself into the role he's got now uh, with everything kind of being figured out with his contract. I think what happened to Frank was going to happen to Frank, but the timing couldn't have been worse, right? I mean, it's just going off and saying me and my four foot wide shoulders are going to be able to play small ball five defend well. And then, Oh yes, let me hit some catch and shoot threes. Followed immediately by the Suns have waved Frank Kaminsky. That was tough. I feel like
2: Ish is that guy from the meme who's at his haters' funeral standing in front of the the grave in the trench coat. I, I feel actually, like that's
0: Ish and Frank. No, I see. Don't don't take that meme away from me. I tweeted that out from our from our podcast account the night we beat the Lakers because I felt oh, that you? I felt that one. I felt I that missed one. That. It, it was, was the, the Suns proudly arriving. Uh, at the funeral of their hater, if you will. Yes, it, it was great. But, uh, Philip, looking at that Clippers game, is there anything you think we can learn about Suns versus Clippers when it comes to a potential playoff matchup? Because the announcers kept talking about, like, ooh, this could be the 1-8, this could be the whatever. I know I've got my opinion on this, but do you think we actually learned anything about these two teams against each other? No. Thank you for that. Would you like to expound upon that
1: now? Sure. Paul George played okay. At the beginning of the game, he was kind of a force, but then he tailed off, which is reasonable that a guy coming back... Who's their homie who came back from injury? Norman Powell. Norman Powell. He looked good, so they have an extra attacking guard, attacking wing. So you don't learn a lot from that kind of game. You just go, okay, that's interesting. We'll see how it plays out. Any any major takeaways from that game would be speculative. I don't think they would be actually analytical. I get that.
0: I think it was fun. I enjoyed it. As just a this game doesn't matter. Kinda, I don't know. Kind of like going to a rec game at the local, at the local gym being like, at the this, is, this is nuts. But at the end of the day, nothing changes here about either team, right? Uh, it was fun and it was great. But it was a beautiful appetizer, if you will, for, in my opinion, oh, man, that's tough. It's incredible that the game against the Lakers isn't my game of the week. But here we are. The game of the week against the Jazz. Now, I do want to remind you that the Suns did not play due to injury, of course. No reason other than that. Crowder, Aiton, Paul, and Booker. Then against the Jazz, those guys were all healthy. So that's awesome. Let's be really thankful about that.
2: Hey, modern medicine is crazy, dude.
0: It is, it's incredible stuff. But not only that, Booker and Paul played 38 minutes, Aiton and Bridges played 34, and Crowder played 26. We had, which I don't know how common this is. I was looking back, and I hadn't seen it in a while. Against the Jazz, the Suns ran a 10-man rotation. Now, we'll get to that in a second. I want to start by saying, once again, the Jazz suck. I don't like them. I don't like their fans. I don't like their superstar. I really don't like the dude that gave everyone COVID. And I'm enjoying watching them, led by their mafia boss, implode. I think it's hilarious. I also think Jazz should be the team name of a team in New Orleans. Being in Utah annoys me. That makes no sense. So now that that's out of the way. The Suns went into the game again, having nothing to play for. They already have the fr- franchise record and wins. It's just just for fun at this point, right? The Jazz have stuff to play for still. So it meant something to them. And I feel like we saw two different teams. We saw the Lakers-Jazz Suns, which are, we're playing against someone that care. We are going to do something about it. And then you see the Clippers game. Nothing in it for them, nothing in it for us. Let's let Ish go off, you know? The Suns come back from down 17 in the fourth quarter to beat the Jazz by six. It was a whole lot of Suns being Suns and a whole lot of Jazz being Jazz. So I want to open with this question. Were you more impressed by the Suns or more impressed by the Jazz? Ryan, after watching that game, which of those teams did you walk away from being like, wow, that's incredible? I want to say the jazz just for the memes, but
2: really I, I love the that the, the Suns just wanted to beat them. I feel like the Suns probably hate this jazz team as much as we do it, fans. And that what what's that's how this game felt is they wanted to beat the Jazz and just ruin their night in Utah. And I love that. So I'm gonna go with being more impressed by the Suns, especially since especially of our starters, like everybody was playing well offensively and and it just looked clean and is giving me a, a, you know, a great hope for what the playoffs will look like. Um, but I do take a whole lot of joy in, in watching the jazz implode and hearing that arena cheer, let's go sons for several minutes at the end of that game.
0: Philip, which of those two teams impressed you more, if that word works for the situation. I
1: think it's a combination. Um, Donovan Mitchell impressed me with his, we'll say, dedication to heroics that wound he, the up the hero ball strong falling short. One. And then the Suns defensively really impressed me down the stretch. Tell me if you, tell me if you guys hear a pattern. I've already kind of shown you the, shown you the pattern. These are the Jazz offensive possessions in clutch time. So five minutes and under. Until the Suns take the lead. Mitchell missed jumper over McHale. Mitchell missed Mitty over McHale. Rudy fouled on a pick and roll. Mitchell missed three. Rudy fouled at the rim. Do you notice the pattern?
2: Were we playing five on two? Was that intentional?
1: Yeah. And it's heavy, heavy Donovan Mitchell. Okay. Don't get mad. Listen carefully, Suns fans. Donovan Mitchell exemplifies all of Devin Booker's worst tendencies, but he does it consistently. There were times earlier this season and especially last season where in conversations with Ryan and Ethan, I said, I don't like how Booker plays down the stretch of games. I think he has had in the past a tendency to play hero ball as well. I think Booker has moved well beyond that. I think Mitchell is still stuck in it. There was a game early April last year. Ethan and I did an emergency podcast on our YouTube channel. Suns beat the Jazz in overtime. We won 117 to 113. And at the end of the game, two straight possessions. It was just Mitchell and Booker back and forth taking contested step back threes. Fading away kind of wild shots in regulation. But now here are the Suns offensive possessions in the clutch time. Booker hits a midi over Dano House. McHale scores off of drives, reversals. McHale gets a MIDI off of their fake handoff play. Beautiful. CP3 takes a midrange jumper. DA gets a C- seal off of snap. McHale gets a dunk. McHale gets the and one. DA gets a rim run. It, it is a balanced attack where you are unsure who's going to get the ball, who whose hands the ball will wind up in. But on the other end with the Jazz, it was like it's either going to be in Mitchell's hand for a pick and roll or Conley in a pick and roll. It was very predictable from the Jazz, and it was not predictable at all for the Suns, which can be exemplified on two back-to-back possessions that were absolutely gorgeous. The Suns were setting up snap, the pick and roll play where Booker gives a back screen to DA's defender and CP3 all of a sudden breaks from the play and whipped a pass to McHale to his left. And that's when McHale got the and one. But then the very next play, they run the same exact set. McHale's defender stays over and stays close to him, which meant DA was wide open and DA got the rim run and put it in. Which is a great catch and
0: finish, by the way. It was was, that was not a young Aiton move. That was a catch it, keep it high, release it high. Growth from last season, kind of just in a small
1: example. Absolutely. So I think that that juxtaposition down the stretch shows why the Jazz and the Suns and Booker and Mitchell, talent wise, there might not be a significant gap. But when you're walking into a playoff series. I think you can see in that game why Suns fans should and will have a significant amount of confidence. No, I love it. And two, two quotes, just to kind of wrap up this game.
0: uh, One of which was in the post game presser by Chris. Uh, I went and was, was watching those and jotted this down. He basically said, and this is a rough Ethan paraphrase. I apologize. when asked about the fourth quarter, he said, we just read the game. The jazz tried to take this away. So we hit this guy. They took book away for a second. So Aiton was there. They helped off McHale. So we hit him. I mean, that's it. Like you've got four dudes that we have well-defined and proven sets to get them the ball in the best place for them. And the other team has to take away four dudes who can do a lot. And you've got Jay Crowder as a very reliable safety valve of sort, like that's just a good offense. And then lastly, this was just icing on the cake for me. Booker, when asked in the postgame presser about the comeback, and he noted that they were aware that the Jads had given up some fourth quarter leads. They just <laughs> wanted to stick with it and give it a chance. And man, Booker could have been politically correct and just said, you know what, we just played our game. The guys were fighting tough. But the fact that he's like, I mean, yeah, we knew, it, we knew it was the Jazz. Like, we know what the Jazz do. Like, might as well keep it close while we're at it. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. It was a great game. Um, I laughed out loud, and I, I tweeted this, I think, from my personal account. They showed the stats of just fourth quarter Suns first Jazz immediately after the game on NBA TV with the corny caption of too close to the Sun because, you know, it's NBA TV. Uh, points 36 to 13, field goals. Suns 14 of 21 jazz three of 20. Oh, chef's kiss. Uh, I think this, that is also very important. Rebound Suns 16 to six. Obviously I know a big part of that is the jazz were missing more shots, but they didn't give up a lot on the offensive glass, which I will continue to think is going to be a big, big thing that helps seal some victories in the playoffs and then assists nine to two, which that's just, you know, where the sunset happens. And assist two for the Jazz. It makes sense when Mitchell won't pass to go bear, but they're the only two shooting the ball. Uh, beautiful game. Beautiful ending. Who cares about the Kings? No offense. This was a great way to extend the franchise record. But boy, what a fun week, guys. I love it. I love it very, very much. Um,
2: Especially after last week when I was projecting to not be
0: invested at all and think it was going to be a pretty boring week. Boy, was I wrong. True, you... You silly boy. The Suns keep things interesting for us. They love us and they love the content. Uh, Well, before we kind of pivot, for those that usually listen, you know, we do our highs, lows, and our just so you knows for the week. We wanted to pivot just a little bit as we kind of take this time. Once again, we're basically pretending the Kings don't exist here uh, to recap the season, the regular season as a whole. So we're going to do our highs, our lows, and our just so you knows for the season. now. We're not going to go super lengthy here. We're not going to go into five different storylines. We've already been talking a while. We appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, But we wanted to just do our thing, recap the season before we go full-on playoff mode where we become little video nerd maniacs uh, and and take it to another level, hopefully. So, Ryan, I want to start with you. Your high for the season in Phoenix Suns basketball. My high for the
2: season is that from about the third or fourth week on, I don't think there was ever a moment where I didn't truly believe that we were the best team in the NBA this season. And that's really cool. There were times on the, on the podcast where I talked about feeling threatened by the Warriors or feeling threatened by you know, maybe one or two other teams, even the idea of a, of a well-run and a um, winning Nets team. But after like the third or fourth week, I I truly believe and have felt that the Suns were the best team in basketball. Um, And at least in my lifetime as a Suns fan, we've never been anywhere close to that. Even last season with the great, great run, we didn't see that run coming. And so that to me has just been the high. We've been in the driver's seat for a very long time.
0: No, I agree. And I I can say I've felt the same way. Uh, even thinking back to my my early years when i was kind of on the suns bus by myself here like even the great nash teams there were always something else that kind of loomed large as this this daunting presence and it's i've never remembered a suns team as this is the team in the league right now uh there's no one in the east that they're talking about kind of you know it, it's it's cool and it's different uh philip what about you our, uh, our Phoenix Suns fan,
1: Phillip, high for the season. I went a little off the beaten path, and I'm going to talk about a defensive combination. And that defensive combination is Mikael Bridges and Devin Booker. I, I've been really impressed this year with, it, specifically with Booker. We expected Mikael to be, to be this good. Mikael and Booker's two-man net rating, which they get a good amount of time with guys coming off the bench, is 107.5. That's a little worse than the team average, but it would put them fourth in the league behind Boston, Phoenix, and Golden State. And the reason that's so good is a lot of times when you're watching the Suns play, if somebody plays good defense on Devin or CP3 in the initial action, but the ball starts swinging, not a lot of defenders are capable enough to get up to that man to contest a shot and then to contest their drive as they come downhill. I think Devin has gotten really, really good at that. And I think that's going to pay major dividends this postseason. And I think one of the underlying, maybe even underrated aspects of the season has been Devin Booker's improvement defensively. So when you have two guys who are going to guard really good wings and really good guards on the same team, locked in, bought into the defensive scheme. You're going to have something special defensively come the postseason.
0: No, I I love it. And I think that that goes real well into to my high for the season, which is that all of our young guys made another big step. I'm not going to, I don't want to say a leap. I don't want to over whatever, but you're looking at a core that is made up of in terms of looking at the future, which I don't like to think about because financially it starts making me a little scared, but you've got, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, DeAndre Aiden, and Devin Booker. All dudes that I, I don't know if they can even rent a car. Uh, young, talented guys. I think all four of them took a big step forward from last season. And when you look at the success of last season, Chris Paul is going to be Chris Paul, right? And I still think he has continued to impress plus some. All four of those dudes stepped up in areas where I think we wanted them to. I think McHale was able to show show the the offensive prowess that we were hoping for uh by diversifying his offensive game defensively still just an absolute monster and putting himself in the depoy conversation we wanted him to see. cam Johnson, I think has taken the biggest step of the young guys. I think defensively he has continued to way outdo what I expected he ever would while offensively showing that he is that guy uh and I think Other people in the league have taken notice. I think DA has shown incredible maturity. I think he's done a great job keeping his head where it needs to be. His foul trouble is also something that I think you can see a big improvement of just maturity defending the rim and continuing to be that dude. And your point was the one I was going to say. Booker on the defensive end has just really, really taken some massive steps forward to where we don't really have a liability on the court. On either side of the ball, and that is that is incredibly nice, Um, guys. I know this may be an odd one after a season like this, but we've got our format and we got to stick to it. In terms of your low for the season, Ryan, I'm going to bring it back to you. What'd you end up getting when you were trying to figure this one out?
2: So, to kind of be the inverse of of what my high was, and that we have consistently been the best, I kind of think of narratives that other people would look at this sun season and be like, well, what about this or that? And so my low is how many big name key players on teams that should have been in contention for the one spot, or at least more of a challenge, missed time this season, missed either a, a big chunk majority or all the season. I think of guys like Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Dame, Jamal Murray, all these guys who are key players, uh Clay Thompson. I didn't have on there all these guys who, in a healthy world, in a perfect world, would have would have been, you know, a much bigger threat to this Suns team. So I, I just hope that at the end of the season, the way people like to go about what about is, and people aren't going to be like, well, yeah, you set a franchise record, but your road was easier than it should have been. So my low is just that you know I'd like to beat the best at our best, but I'm also perfectly happy going into the playoffs with the franchise high in wins, um, and you know, several, at least a couple all NBA players uh, on the team and hopefully the coach of the year as well. So I would yeah. say my low is just that kind of just that, that potential narrative uh, taking a, a hit at, at what we've accomplished as a team this year.
0: Philip, what about you? What was your low for the season?
1: And is it bulls related? <laughs> it's not bulls related. I, I don't know if it's a low or if I'm just consistently uneasy and unsure how I feel about it. I think it's his backup point guard play cam campaign. Bless him. He had a great stretch in January, good stretch in March as well. He was extremely up and down this season, especially as far as his shooting goes. And I think, I think, for the Suns to get right in the playoffs, one of two things has to happen. He has to be at least a step up more efficient than he was in the regular season. Or, or the Suns are going to have to fall back on Devin Booker and Booker running running point, And then allowing Cam Johnson to play the Booker spot as Booker plays the CP3 role. I, I want Cam to succeed. I want Cam to have a good playoff run, but for the season, he's forty per, 41% basically from the field, Thirty three and a half and a half from three-point range. He was 43-ish percent from the field and 46% from three last year in the playoffs. So last year in the playoffs, he was a step better than he was in the aggregate this season, but he did have a couple stretches, specifically in January where he shot basically 45 from the field and 43 from three, that's the kind of campaign the Suns are going to need to feel really comfortable when other team stars are getting significantly more minutes than they, than they do in the regular season. Yeah, the, the backup
0: big was the conversation for last season going into the playoffs, and now it's the backup guard spot. Uh, we did mention this. A part of the big Clippers comeback was Aaron Holiday getting put in and just taking over. Uh, Alfred Payton, I think is out of the lineup for good. I think Aaron holiday is going to make it real hard not to at least be in contention. So, uh, it'll be interesting. I didn't, we didn't really get to touch on it too much, but it, I, I'm curious looking at the jazz game. If, if we saw maybe close to the playoff rotation, you had 10 guys play, you had Crowder, McHale, eight, Paul Booker, your normal five. And then the five dudes on the bench, with the only guy getting more than 15 minutes being Cam Johnson, Tory Craig, Cam Johnson, JaVale, Aaron Holiday, and Landry Shamit, All of those dudes getting like 10 to 12 minutes except for Cam at 22. We'll see. I'm intrigued to see what that looks like. But, no, I, th- I think that's a good low. Um, I, I want to put mine in the this is pessimistic, and I apologize. My low for the season is that we weren't able to figure things out financially to make me feel better about next season. Uh, This season on the front end was very dominated by dominating DeAndre Aiden himself, the contract talks, the Sarver crap, which I also think could have been a massive low for the season, given that nonsense that it seems that the team has continued to uh, just kind of keep their heads down and play through while the NBA does its thing behind the scenes. But there's a lot of financial question marks looking forward, and a big part of that's going to be DeAndre Ayton-centered. And then, unfortunately, the guy that I have come to love, Cam Johnson. And I'm really nervous about making sure the team figures out a way to bring Cam back. Uh, I don't know. I hope, it, I hope it stays together. I'm not going to let this thinking continue into the playoffs. Uh, I, I don't want to dwell on anything except what's happening now. But their inability to kind of figure that out is going to loom large when it comes to the potential for Cam to get his extension the year early, prevent him from going to RFA like we're going to see with Aiton. But speaking of Cam Johnson, you you have to know how I'm I'm ending this one. My just so you know. My just so you know for this season is a callback to my favorite just so you know of mine for the whole year, and that is trademark Cam Johnson Thursdays. Now, Cam Johnson Thursdays, guys, I brought this up early. I think there had only been three Thursday games at that point. And I said, have you all noticed that Cam Johnson becomes the best shooter in the entire world on Thursdays? And we all said, no, that makes no sense. And we looked at the numbers and it was like, you know what? This is interesting. Well, the season has now come and gone. I have monitored this quietly because I did not feel the need to bring this up on every episode. But Cam Johnson, Cam Johnson ended this season with some pretty nice, pretty nice numbers. Now for the season, he shot 46 from the field and 42.7 from three. Those are some pretty solid numbers. Cam Johnson is a good shooter. On Thursdays, Cam Johnson is a very, very good shooter, a weirdly good shooter. Cam Johnson finished this season on Thursdays, which nine games, by the way, averaging 27 minutes apiece, shooting 61 from the field and 59 from three. 88 from the free throw line, just to add some more love there. I don't know what it is. I'm annoyed no one has asked him yet in any of the press conferences, though I ask repeatedly. But Cam Johnson Thursdays, still a thing. And I hope, I hope we have some playoff games on Thursday nights. Because I don't care if he's hurt. I don't care if he's healthy. I don't care if he's in a slump. He will drop 20 on you. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, I love Cam Johnson. I love what he's done this season, whether it's Thursday night or not. But wanted to give him some love as we uh, give the final, just so you know, for the whole season, at least from me. Ryan, just so you know, to conclude the regular season.
2: My just so you know, um, the other night on Twitter, somebody shared the picture of Booker giving Al McCoy the game jersey. That was on my list too. And it said the moment Devin Booker surpassed Barkley and Nash as the greatest son of all time. And I have been kind of wrestling with that tweet for a few days now. And I think I agree with it. I think this season has solidified Devin Booker's place as being the greatest Phoenix son in history. The patience he has had with this team in its front office, the amount of crap he's had to put up with both um, from, from people publicly doubting his ability to lead a team to completely putting himself in conversation to be considered an MVP this season. Um, I just, he is so special to this team. And, And that picture I think was, was just like this perfect moment that captured almost like this passing of a torch that like Devin Booker is that guy And I think this season will be the one that people look back on and say, that's where, that's where it all happened for him is this season. And so I think as, as we move into the playoffs and and we kind of reflect uh, don't take for granted, just how special this season has been for the team, but especially for
0: Devin Booker, who has been with this team through all of it. Yeah. And just my two cents there. um, It kind of hit me. I've, our parents, Ryan and I, our parents were moving. So I was cleaning out my childhood bedroom. Uh, this week and helping out around the house and with that is taking down a lot of old sun stuff off the walls of my childhood bedroom including my first ever son's jersey a white nash 13 jersey that hung in the same place for the last i don't know a lot of years i never would have imagined that there would be a phoenix sun that i would even consider as the greatest sun um but in terms of and I think this got highlighted this week. And by what you said, Ryan, in terms of not just what he does on the court, but what he means to this organization and the fans and how much he seems to care and give back to the community. Uh, it's in some incredible maturity from a, a, a guy in that situation. I was going to say kid. I mean, he's a couple years younger than me, which is crazy, uh, but just, he's an incredible guy. And, and I love that he's having the success that he has. Uh, people love to talk Paul versus Booker. Whose team is it? It's Book's team. I think it has been. Chris Paul knows that. He's even said it. Uh, but no, I think I think you're spot on. That moment was really special just because of how much Al means to the Suns organization and fan base as well. I listened to him on the radio growing up. I loved seeing that moment. Uh, and Book just seems to get it, and I and I I love him for it. And I'm glad the Suns have have someone in Phoenix who can who can give back that much. But. All right, that's sappy, Ethan. Come and gone. Uh, let's go back. Let's go back to Philip to close it out. Just
1: so you know, for the regular season, Suns fans, your team is in rare air with currently sixty-four wins. So we're going to play this out with them staying at sixty-four wins because I would imagine not everybody's going to play tomorrow against the Kings. Maybe they will. Who's probably, they're
0: probably scared of Sabonis. You know. What so I mean?
1: if the Suns stay at sixty-four wins. They will be with the 95-96 Supersonics, the 96-97 Jazz. Both of those teams lost to MJ's Bulls, ever heard of them, the in the championship. And the 2005-2006 Detroit Pistons. Do you guys know who they lost to? Um, did they not win that year? They did not. So this was the year that D Wade and Shaq Uh, came through and they knocked off the Pistons, a really good Pistons team in the Eastern conference finals. So those are the teams you join if you win 64. And then if you win 65, if you win 65, you join the 82, 83, 76ers, Dr. J's championship, the 86, 87 champion showtime Lakers, the 08, 09 champion Lakers. And then the 17 18 Houston Rockets, who gave the Warriors everything they wanted that season. So, again, either win against the Kings, lose against the Kings, it doesn't matter. You are in a category of teams who were memorable historically. And many basketball fans can draw memories from almost all of those teams who we just listed. So, enjoy the fact that you are in rare air and have watched truly a historic season at the very worst a top 30 season in nba history love it love it
0: man it's been a good season regular season has been great it has been fun getting to recap every week with you guys for those that are listening we appreciate you riding with us on all this uh again We're going to be active throughout the playoffs. Our regular schedule is not going to change. You can still count on your Monday podcast, but we are looking to add some more content for you. If you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, it is Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns podcast. That is going to be picking up a little bit. And you can always find all of our audio podcasts on the Brightside Podcast Network. We appreciate them giving us this platform. Uh, Check out all of our episodes there, like I said, on Mondays. Uh, but gentlemen, anything else to add before we recap one of the most fun weeks in Suns basketball, and definitely one of the most fun seasons in Phoenix Suns basketball? I got nothing but go Suns, baby, and go Bulls for Philip because I love him very much. Can't wait to watch my team play four
1: playoff games. <laughs> oh, <no.
0: laughs> hey, me too. But then the next series will start, and it'll be great. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for watching in the future. Feel free to check us out on Twitter at the TheValleyPHX. For Philip, for Ryan, I am Ethan. This is Into The Valley Phoenix Suns Podcast. We out.